You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. On today's episode, we're joined by Jeremy Treat. Jeremy received his PhD from Wheaton College, and he serves as the pastor at Reality LA in California. He's the author of a fantastic book entitled The Crucified King. I just, we cannot more heartily recommend this book. It is fantastic. JT tells the story on the episode today of the first time he read it, which was maybe not the best time to read the book since he was about to teach on the subject within 48 hours, uh, but it drastically reshaped the way that uh, JT, Jen, and myself think through communicating the cross, particularly in the gospel. Narratives. And on this episode, we discuss the connection between the kingdom of God and the cross of Christ and, and ask the question could it be that the cross, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, is really an enthronement ceremony? So we hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, so we want to welcome to the show uh, Jeremy Treat. Jeremy, welcome. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate the the ministry of Village Church and the Village Institute and this podcast. And just think the world of you guys are honored to join you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're so excited to have you. I, I know I told you before we jumped on the air, just so the audience doesn't always think that we get you on and praise you and then criticize you after the fact. Like, JT and I have kind of been geeked out about having you on the show just because for, sure. for the last year and a half... Two years, JT? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been about two and a half years. Yeah, we've been tripping over ourselves telling people, you've got to read this book. Yeah, so maybe I could tell a story real quick. So, when I, my, my role at the village, I stood over to the institute, particularly, I spent a lot of time in the training program, which is our year long kind of discipleship program of kind of seminary light, teaching people biblical and systematic theology. It's about 32 lectures that first year that I had to prep that, that year. There was one lecture <laughs> I felt super confident in. It was kind of the atonement <laughs> lecture because I'd written a master's thesis on the atonement and i was like okay i got that one in the bag like that everything else i'm like i have no idea what i'm doing i need to figure this out immediately <laughs> right it was mass chaos uh but that one i had i felt comfortable with so like, i remember i was this like, so I was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read a book for fun just to kind of maybe you know supplement my uh-huh. vast knowledge on the topic and i read this book and i thought to myself oh my goodness yeah. i have to relearn <laughs> everything and so i like it was monday and i think i had the class on wednesday and i rewrote the entire lecture yeah. Uh, according <laughs> according to this to this new book that we get to, to I mean I'm not kidding you. No, I got a text message from you that said, "Have you read the Crucified King?" And I said, "No." And you said, you, "The next step was buy it immediately." <laughs> well, I'm, you came into my office and you were like, "I'm in big trouble." I'm in big trouble. I was like, "I've I've made a massive mistake." <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so brother, we are immensely great. I know that there's a congregation in LA, Reality LA, that's profiting from your ministry at a very direct level. Um, and I know that there was probably sacrifices involved in you being able to write this book and speak on this topic elsewhere. And so to Reality LA, if they're listening, thank you for allowing your pastor to have this kind of ministry as well. It's a mm-hmm. gift to the church. It's blessing a group of people in Texas and Dallas. That's right. Think through the cross. And so, Jeremy, so we've, we've celebrated the book, but what is the elevator pitch? If, you know, somebody's listening on this podcast, and they're like, okay, I, I get the book is great. What's the first floor to 10th floor pitch of The Crucified King? What's it about? What are you trying to do? And how are you trying to do it? Yeah, well, let me say, first of all, thank you. That really means a lot coming from you guys. I mean, I, I, I toiled and worked really hard on that. Um, and so to hear of it bearing fruit is it's just super encouraging. But I, you know, for me, it, it goes back um, of sensing something 
in my faith, long before I got involved in scholarship or anything like that, of just seeing a divide in the church. And I, I saw it in the church, and then when I kind of went through school, I saw it in the academy. And the divide is that some people are championing the kingdom, and others are clinging to the cross, but usually one to the exclusion of the other. Uh, and and I, that, that kind of startled me. And for me, it was, I grew up in, in the context where we were in the cross crowd, and, and we talk about the cross, and Jesus died for your sins, so you can go to heaven. And I remember a preacher uh, saying one time, what's the number one thing that Jesus talked about? And I, I knew what it was, because all we ever talked about was the cross. Right. And so when, when, Jesus, or when, the, when the preacher said the number one thing Jesus talked about is the kingdom of God, um, it was like a slap in the face to me. And, mm. and it created this crisis within me of saying, wait a second, like, if that's the number one thing Jesus talked about, then why doesn't it shape my faith or the way I think of what it means to be a Christian or the way that I view the world? And so to me, I set out on a journey with that. And so the, that, that led to me uh, writing a book, which was the culmination of a lot of my um, work in my doctoral program. Uh, but the, the basic pitch is that you can't understand the kingdom without the cross, and you can't understand the cross without the kingdom. Uh, that, that Jesus brings the kingdom through the cross. And that creates this cruciform kingdom that we then walk in. Well, we're following after Christ, but he's a crucified and resurrected Christ. So it's, it's holding kingdom and cross together in, this narr- in the narrative of Scripture, but then also in our lives as well. And, and Jeremy, how did you set about making that case? And so I know that, that that's, I think, a very, of course, you're the author. That was a very accurate summation of the, of the book, of the thesis of the book. But how do you go about doing that? Is it just like a, hey, let me proof text a few passages? Kind of what was your method for demonstrating that? I know that you rely, like I was surprised, just frankly, when I jumped into it, and I saw that there were maybe three chapters on Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, this is a book about the cross. Why are we talking about Isaiah? And then I got into it and was like, wow, I am so glad that he took me through three chapters on the book of Isaiah. Because now how can I possibly understand the cross or the kingdom apart from Isaiah's vision? So kind of what was your method for proving your point? Well, I think a lot of it was having to go back and, and relearn the story that the Bible is telling mm-hmm. and and recognizing in my own life different ways that that had been kind of hijacked um, by, by you know, my own cultural assumptions or whatever that is. And so, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the way that the story unfolds throughout the Old Testament is huge. Um, and because when you, you know, the minute you open up the Bible to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, you're given this view of God reigning as a king, right? It doesn't use the word king, but... How do kings reign? They reign through their words. They speak and it's done. And so Genesis 1, you have this picture of God reigning as king and the world flourishing under his reign, the blessings that they receive from him. And, and then, yeah, that unfolds. It, to me, it's just you start reading it and it's everywhere. Uh, and the, and for a lot of it for me was, was opening my eyes to the theme of the kingdom of God and seeing how that's this, uh, this huge theme that connects a lot of dots in Scripture. Um, and for Isaiah, that's just, it's a big part of it. Um, I, one of the reasons I ended up really focusing on Isaiah is, is recognizing the influence of Isaiah on the New Testament authors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I was studying the book of Mark a lot and um, was really convinced by the idea that Mark is deeply shaped by Isaiah. And, and he's, he's really, uh, that's, that's his, reference, his reference point a lot for Jesus. So. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so seeing, and, and Jesus was quoting Isaiah constantly. And so, yeah, the Old Testament narrative, I think Isaiah's the most explicit in that in certain areas when it comes to the kingdom of God. But for me, it was just re, it was relearning the story. Jeremy, JT is over here just laughing at purple face <laughs> because a victory there he happening. has been heckling me for about the last nine months that we need to do Isaiah in the Bible classes. And I keep pushing uh-huh. him off. And he's like, Je- I mean, basically what you just said, he said to me like 45 times and I keep telling him to get out of my office. So I'm basically, this whole podcast now feels like a setup on the yeah, part right. of JT. Gotcha. Yeah, actually, we're not on air at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I'm curious, when, when, you, when you first introduced this idea to people um and it's it's new i would imagine it is brand new to many of them um what are what's the biggest obstacle that they have to 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 shifting their view to accommodate um this vision you know it it really depends on uh where people are coming from jen that that if i'm talking with people who have been in really conservative circles um then oftentimes they associate the kingdom with like liberal theology or the social gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that to me is just one of the saddest things that the, you know, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, but they don't talk about that because that's what the liberals do. Um, so it, it depends on the context for some people. It might be saying, well, let, let's talk about what the kingdom of God means and, and how that connects to the cross. And um, for other people, you know, it's, it's the opposite. Some people have, some people have been so turned off by kind of a narrow view of the cross that only talks about the wrath of God mm-hmm. that they've they've really dismissed that and, and just want to focus on kingdom themes and however they want to attach that to something else. So it depends on where people are at. Um, yeah, the, uh, of the resistance that I get to the idea. Well, um, so Jeremy, I, I want to, um, one, let's just say popular level thing that when I've introduced this idea, the cross as an enthronement ceremony, which I, I want to hear you actually, let's just pause there. Could you talk to us a, a bit about the cross as an enthronement ceremony? How, like the, the, just when you first hear that, you go, there's no way it's an enthronement ceremony. So like, where do you go? If you're trying to tell somebody, yeah, no, actually the cross is an enthronement ceremony. How do you make that case? Yeah, so I mean, the, to me, this is all over the Gospels. And a part of this, I think people have a, an insufficient atonement theology, is we don't, we don't give the Gospels their credence um, when it comes to that. So in John 12, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. When he says he's lifted up, we, we might think he's talking about the, the resurrection or the ascension. Right. He's referring to the cross. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the time when he's lifted up. He refers to it as the hour of glory. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book of That's Mark, he, he does the same thing, but he does it through narrative. So Mark, uh, half of the uses of the word king in Mark are in Mark 15. Mm. Wow. Uh, Jesus is presented mm-hmm. as a king. He's praised as a king. Uh, he's, you know, he's, mo- he's been mocked as a king. Uh, and so he, Mark is using irony. Mark is a brilliant writer. He's using irony to show that the one mocked as king truly is a king. And the world doesn't recognize it. Why? Because he's reigning with self-giving love. Wow. Uh, and, and our world doesn't recognize that. It's a kingdom hidden with service and suffering and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that idea is uh, of, of the cross as enthronement. I think, it's, I think it's all over the pages of Scripture. 
And and the more you the more you kind of see that in different areas, it's, it's even explicit. When you get into First Corinthians one, and it talks about the wisdom and power of the world compared to the wisdom and power of God, uh, you're seeing it. That the, the 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 cross is truly is the hour of glory and a revelation of God's power and laying down His life. That's so good. So for me, when I when I first came to this idea, and I kind of had conversations with Kyle and Jen about this, is like once I, it was one of those things that once you see, you can't unsee. I don't know what the, what were those pictures? Magic eye. Yeah, the magic mm-hmm. eye pictures where you're like, oh, there's the, you know, the clown or the mm-hmm. ship or whatever it was. And you, you simply can't unsee it. So every time I read uh, these narrative passages now, I actually have them underlined to make sure I can't unsee it. Right. But this specific kind of kingdom language at the cross, uh, my background is not in, in biblical theology. My background is in systematics. This is yours, Jeremy, but of course, these two uh, interact in the academy of the church. But one of the, I think, one of the another challenging reason people have a hard time understanding this, whether it's because of systematics or just because of life, we have this uh, distinction between humiliation and glorification, mm-hmm. or this distinction between uh, uh, suffering and hope. You know, and, and one of the as things, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. antithetical. Like the or or that these two things, and like even if you look at most systematic theology books or even life experience, we do, like they're, they're separated by chapters. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in a season of yeah. suffering or I'm in the chapter yeah. of Jesus's, you know, uh, humiliation, humiliation. Yeah. Not, not in the chapter of his glorification mm-hmm. yet. And we do that, I think, to try to simplify things and try to make sense of life or to make sense right. of the Bible. But one of the things that you are at pains at in the book is to show this relationship between Jesus's humiliation and his exaltation and his glorification. Yeah. Would you chat for a minute about the relationship between these things? Yeah, I mean, I, and you're right, JT. I mean, systematic theologians are helpful because they give us categories but then they're unhelpful because we end up forcing things into those categories. That's right. Um, yeah, and, and I think there is a broad trajectory of humiliation to exaltation. It's, it's moving towards exaltation. Um, and, you know, that's Philippians 2, right? Mm-hmm. But, but within that, there's something uh, deeper and more nuanced going on that I would say is exaltation through humiliation. So that it's not just a simple stepping stone of you suffer and then uh, there's glory. Mm-hmm. It's that for Christ shows us that there's, there's glory in the suffering. And that doesn't, that doesn't uh, glorify suffering itself, but it glorifies what God is doing in it mm-hmm. as a way of redeeming and then how he even uses that in our lives. So uh, that, that to me is the, the, the wisdom of the world that we need to be that we need to be cautious of, in a sense, is just reading onto it. Because what happens when we do that is the cross is defeat, and then the resurrection is victory. Exactly. And, and I don't think that the cross is a defeat that needs to be made right by the resurrection. It's a victory that needs to be unveiled by the resurrection. That's good. That is really helpful. But and if I could just play devil's advocate here for a second, Jeremy. Um, yeah. The is it just that it's so institutionalized? This hard division between those two things. Uh, you, you mean or, in, you mean distinction between kingdom and cross? Or yeah, kingdom and cross, but or, or, humiliation, glorification. humiliation, glorification. Because I would just say some. So most of the time, whenever I'm communicating this position, the first question, and I understand it because it was my first impulse as well, and I'm still very sympathetic to it. Is but hey, his resurrection. That's where, like, he triumphs over death, mm-hmm. right? And you go, well, mm-hmm. no, no, he he triumphs over death in the de- in his death and resurrection. So is the is the thing here that we need to see this more as a unified event as opposed to talking about crucifixion, resurrection? We should be talking about this 
one event of death and resurrection together, two sides of the same thing. I mean, yeah. what is, it just, yeah. I'll tell Wait, you. It, does yeah, the Ascension sure. figure in there right, too? Exactly, I mean, exactly, because the, push, the pushback, because we have a student who's, I can see him through the glass right now in the production, but he read <laughs> this, keep him behind he glass. read this book and he was like, listen, I feel like one of the things that maybe is not playing in here is the way the resurrection I don't know. I mean, isn't that significant here? And I think you hit on it a little bit, yeah. but I'd love to hear more about that because I'm sure that's a, probably a pushback you've gotten a lot and have had to had to talk through with people. Yeah, and it's a dangerous one because I'm it, it, at one level I'm responding to what what is a a really common view I think of the of attributing victory only to the resurrection and not so much to the cross. Right. And so I'm saying, yeah, but the cross too. Like, look at the scriptures. Jesus is being enthroned there. There's kingdom language all around the cross. It's victory. What I'm not saying is the resurrection doesn't matter or the resurrection is not victory. Um, and what I think the sometimes what how the conversation plays out is there's this, like, tension as if we need to fight between which one is more important, the cross or the resurrection, or which one matters most, which one's more victorious. And my whole point is that they're doing different things. They're, they're different parts in the story that you don't have to try and... Uh, they're not competing with one another. The life of death, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, they're all... Um, crucial to the gospel. You lose any of those, you lose the gospel. And But they're doing different things in that. Just in the way it's easier for us to understand that in comparing the life of Christ and the death of Christ, right? Um, but that's true with the resurrection and with the ascension. So I, I think that we've got to move away from seeing those as competing and saying, let's talk about what's, what's happening significantly in each moment and how those fit together. And I think one of the ways you talked about it in the book, uh, if, I mean, it's been a, a while since I've actually read it, but you did talk about, and you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, is the one who is resurrected is the one who was crucified. He is now the yeah. resurrected, ascended, and enthroned, crucified king, reigning mm -hmm. over a cruciform kingdom, which is calling us to service, to, to, to love. Having been crucified, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not currently yeah, yeah. still... Like, so of like, course, of that's, course. That's one of the things when we were communicating this, where it's like, well, he's still not crucified. That's right. Right? And that's what you're saying, right, Jeremy? Mm -hmm. It's not that when we say Jesus is the crucified king, that we take on a kind of a crucified, like a more of a, uh, I'm thinking now from an aesthetic perspective, but we're not still imagining Christ as ruling from the cross, right? Right, right. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I mean, think about the the images in scripture when he, when he raises from the dead and, you know, he still has the wounds in his hands. And Re Revelation 5 to me is, is very significant. John hears a voice of a roaring lion and he looks and it's a slain lamb, right? He's, it's a slain lamb ruling from the throne. So he's, there, it's, a, it's a cross-shaped kingdom. But yeah, he, he's the resurrected one. And yet he continues to reign with self-giving love. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a dynamic that, that carries forward there, even though the cross is a finished work. Um, and, and we're not glorifying suffering. This isn't masochism. It's, it's the power of sacrifice. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, th I think the way that those play out in, in the resurrection of Christ and eternity are important. And we need to be able to, to see what's going on there with the, that the crucifixion is a finished work. And yet the, the crucified one is, is still pouring himself out. He's still, he's still self-giving in the same way. 
So, okay, there's a nerdy piece of me that wants to love this just as a literary motif that works really well and explains the text. And I know you're a pastor, like you're doing the on the ground ministry with the names and the faces and the stories. And I want to know practically how you see this shift in understanding impacting the way that you, um, you preach, you exhort people to live their lives or the way you've seen it in your own life. Like what are the practical implications Mm -hmm. of embracing this view of the cross? Yeah. Well, well, I think, I think there are so many, um, I'll, I'll let two come to mind right away for me. Uh, one would be that it really shapes the way we understand what it means to be a disciple. Because uh, think about this, and I'm preaching through Mark right now, so that's kind of saturating my mind. But in, in Mark 1, the first thing that Jesus says is the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The next thing he says after that is follow me. Now, those two things we often don't hold together. A lot of people don't think of discipleship and kingdom as being these uh, connected themes. But when Jesus says, follow me, he's already said where he's going and what he's doing. So kingdom shapes discipleship in a really practical way of we're following the king in this mission that he has of bringing the kingdom. So it, it shapes discipleship in a lot of different ways. Another another way I would say practically is um, it, it helps us avoid we can, we can uh, champion kingdom without having a triumphalism. I think that's one of the dangers of kingdom of God. God reigns over everything. And that can lead to like a, and easily to a place where suffering doesn't fit into that. Mm. And so to constantly be reminding, yeah, it, it, it's the kingdom, but it's the kingdom who came, that came through the cross. And that's very, that's very different. And so just in the sense of Roman date, if he suffered and was glorified, we too will suffer and be glorified as we're united with him. Um, so for, for kind of having a framework for uh, the already and the not yet, the victory of the kingdom, and yet the suffering and the sacrifice that, that brought it and that advances it, I think gives people practical frameworks in that to be able to follow Christ in a, in a way that's in line with Scripture. I like that a lot, Jeremy. So one of the things I've been trying to think through in my own life, just related to, to my discipleship as I try to follow the Lord, but then thinking about some of the biblical themes and categories that we find present in uh, in the biblical text, is like the, 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 the Jesus, the, the, when he was announcing the kingdom, they had some very visceral and real pictures of what it meant to reign and rule as king, and his name was Caesar, right? So I think what we can do sometimes is we can think, okay, so Jesus is bringing a kingdom kind of like Caesar's, or he is this new and greater and better Caesar, but really what I think the gospel is doing in, in the kind of discipleship that Jesus was calling his followers to was not a better version of Caesar, but kind of the anti-Caesar kingdom, the, the one that mm-hmm. that suffered. Like, like Caesar reigned and ruled by putting people on the cross. Jesus reigns and rules by going to the cross himself. And the point you were just making is telling his disciples to do what? Carry your cross and follow me. So the passport or the identification yeah. of, a, of, a, of a citizen of Jesus's kingdom is a cross-shaped or a cruciform life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, Jeremy, um, we we are recording this just a few days before Good Friday, um, and now won't, it'll be coming out weeks after Good Friday. But I would love to just hear if this is if if the crucifixion is part of if it is an enthronement ceremony and victory is being taken. If that's an important part of this, how are you, how do you at your church 
meditate on the cross for Good Friday. I mean, just kind of give me a sense of where are you taking your people and what does it look like to balance those twin realities of, yes, the king is being enthroned and, yes, it's through death. So there is tragedy here, but there's also victory. How do you try to capture that in leading your people to worship and reflection on this? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I don't, I don't think that understanding this, this view of the cross, you know, as enthronement and as the kingdom coming, uh, it, it shouldn't lead us to like a happy, clappy, um, just uh, bright and purely joyful uh, response to the cross. I think actually, the higher you increase your view of God's power and God's reign and God's grace the the more you see the depth of our own sin in the cross and the more you feel the weight of our sin in in Christ going to the cross so I, I think there I think Good Friday uh, and and really the whole weekend altogether captures that tension for us in the beauty and the glory of the cross and yet the the ugliness and the weight of our own sin. So I think, I think Good Friday is a day where we mourn deeply over the death of our Savior, where we, we lament, I don't know, yeah, lament, I think you can say, over our own sin and over the fact that it took this, right? Our sin was that bad that he had to go through that much. Uh, but, then, but then rejoicing in what he did accomplish. So it, it's that tension that, our sin is great, and our Savior is greater. Yeah, man. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today, brother. We are so blessed by your ministry, by the writing uh, of this book, The Crucified King. We just pray that you would continue and uh, continue to write. I'm, I, that's what yeah, I'm Yeah, when's the next I'm book? Like, Come on, on. Let's bump them out, man. <laughs> I'm working on it right now, so be <laughs> praying for me. But I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for you guys. It's, it's great catching up and talking about this. Thank you for all that you're doing. We love you, brother. We love your church. If there's anything we can ever do to serve you, we want to do that. We're praying for you regularly and grateful for your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture. But what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. All right. Well, so we just got off talking with Jeremy Treat, uh, pastor at Reality LA and author of The Crucified King. I found that 
to be. I was a huge fan of the book. I, I could, I'm sure you heard us gushing over it. <laughs> um, so if you if you, you know, like if there's one thing you can do after listening to this podcast, if you're like, what's one action item? Buy this book. Yeah, buy the book and read. Yeah, it. I think he also has a few articles. Maybe one in Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. yeah, where there's, there's some shorter there. versions. Mm-hmm. But the book is is definitely worth. Yeah, it's exceptional. Yeah, it's, good. it's exceptional. So I want to just kind of land the plane from that discussion, not because we felt like there was anything lacking there, but just given the fact that you know we have a unique context here, and again, we you know we're always kind of trying to live in the, the tension between uh, we're glad that other people are using knowing faith and the resources we create here at the village, but we also have a people that we have some level of stewardship over, and mm-hmm. we just want to. Uh, continue to make sure that our resources are serving them best. And so just a couple of thoughts. I mean, one thing that I'd love to just kick out first, and then I know that JT and Jenny might want to jump in here on a different area, is when I began to read The Crucified King and even hearing Jeremy talk about today, it is such a confrontation with... Uh, the way that we think about the power of the Lord Mm -hmm. and how that should influence the way that we think about authority and power in our lives, in the lives of the institutions that we're a part of, uh, and then in the life of the world. Mm -hmm. So what does this power and authority look like? Well, uh, you know, theologians, I'm thinking particularly of Luther, have talked about a theology of the cross and a theology of glory and how these two uh, generally are two very different ways of thinking about the kingdom and the power that comes with the kingdom and that God's entrusted to the officers of that kingdom and pastors and religious institutions and such. And when I hear the crucified King, one of the impacts that it made on me reading it the first time was, wow, if the power of the kingdom is cruciform in nature, if it's sacrificial in nature, that's, that's going to absolutely affect the way that I think about leading people into the kingdom and mm-hmm. leading those who are currently mm-hmm. in the kingdom. And just the way that I think about the levels of influence, authority, and power I have in my own life. If it is cruciform in nature, then it means that I need to be willing to give self-sacrificially, right? The question should not be, how can I... Um, I mean, to say it in a really stark way, to follow the Lord is not to ask of the people that we're leading, how can I throw them up uh, kind of on the front lines or on a cross for me, but how can I uh, essentially be sacrificed on their behalf, right? Mm -hmm. How can I live sacrificially? How can I live my life as a daily sacrifice in a way that honors the people around me and not exploits them or uses them? And so I think the impact of this view of the cross definitely challenges some of our deeply held beliefs about power and authority and what should come with that. Because Christ says what comes with it is this death. Yeah, cruciformity. Death. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, cruciformity. Exactly right. so. I mean, uh, for me, this, this uh, we talked about it in the podcast briefly, but it gives kind of a uh, maybe a deeper meaning to Jesus' call to his disciples to take up their cross. Yeah. That wasn't some kind of like a religious symbolism. That was a call to death, a call right. to cruciformity, and a call to eventual new life. But that new life can only come through the death of ourselves. Yep. Well, and along those lines, you know, we were just in Matthew 27 last night in the study, and when Jesus is mocked on the cross, they say, he is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him, mm-hmm. um, which is mm-hmm. the the inverse of Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. He's yeah, the wow. king yeah. who ascends a cross. That's right. And if you look at what's happening in the crucifixion and this, this conversation of power, Jesus is laying down his power um, he's using his power on behalf of those who can do nothing for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a cruciform life is 
I take whatever power, whatever privilege is afforded to me, and I lay it down on behalf of those who can do nothing in return for me. That's, yes. the, that's the truest mark. It won't always be true of the times that we're using our power on behalf of others. But if we, if we only lay down our power or utilize our power in ways where something can come back to us, that's usually an indicator that we, don't, we haven't truly embraced the idea of a cruciform life because mm, that's good. It, 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 the truest mark of someone who, who genuinely understands self-sacrifice is when their sacrifice results in no good thing coming back to them from the person for whom they've sacrificed. And that's, yeah. uh, there's a beautiful picture of that in the Gospels where the thief on the cross next to Christ, what does he, what does he say to Jesus? He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So the first person to recognize the kingship of Jesus as being enthroned on the cross is this man who can offer Jesus nothing. Utter helplessness. Utter helplessness. That's that's us. As we Mm -hmm. look to our crucified king, we recognize we are too, we're the thieves on the cross who have nothing to offer other than a recognition of the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ as he sits enthroned on his cross. That's good. And what does Jesus say to him? You will enter paradise with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else? There's one thing I'll say just briefly, is that because if this is a new topic uh, for somebody, if, if, this, if this is like you know, I have no idea what's going on. I've never thought about the crosses and throwing. Maybe just to provide some traditional categories that that are important. So as we think about this new kind of enthronement survey of the cross, it's also important to remember that we're also confessing things like this substitutionary work of Jesus, or another word we could use is expiation that He cleanses us, or propitiation that God's wrath is exhausted in the cross. Or the Bible is when it's the, when the Bible is talking about this language of healing, redemption, reconciliation, victory. Uh, I used to. I think unintentionally kind of conflate these ideas. Like the Bible is using a lot of various terms to talk about the same thing that Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is these terms are used intentionally to talk about the integrative work that Jesus did, that these are not the same thing. And so if you, I don't know if you're listening to this as you're driving down the road or perhaps folding laundry at home, or maybe you're at work uh, and maybe you're wrestling with, with uh, something in your life, feeling unclean, feeling far from God, feeling uh, whatever it might be, I want you to think about, and as you start reading the Bible, think about the various images and metaphors and true realities that the the cross of Jesus has accomplished for you, that you're no longer dirty, but you've been made clean, that you're no longer far, but you have been brought near, that you're no longer an enemy, but you've been made a friend through the cross of Christ. And these, this all-encompassing work of Jesus, we could never plumb the depths of it, but all of it can be applied to us as sons and daughters. Yeah. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be talking with Andy Crouch about theology, culture, and power. See you next time. Grace and peace.